Thank you very much, Irene. As we live in a broken world where there's all kinds of struggles and difficulties along the way, Christ is our life. He's the one we can look to and find joy and strength. This morning, beginning a sermon series, not how many, not sure how many weeks it'll go, not excessively long, dealing with human sexuality, homosexuality, and gay marriage. Maybe biting off more than I care to chew on, but uh, again, want to look at scripture and a few introductory comments as we begin. Humans are created in the image of God. This image involves relationships within the Godhead, which is to be present among humans. Therefore, if we are to be godly ambassadors in our world, as we respond to human sexuality, homosexuality, relationships with sinners, including homosexuals, are vital. We reflect God's image as we pursue relationships. We deny God's image if we withdraw from relationships with others, whoever it may be. And God, down through the pages of history, pursued humans. There needs to be a balance between relationships and truth. There's relationships, a relationship between, I'm sorry, the balance between relationships and truth should be wisely maintained. It's not one or the other, it's both. Believers in Christ are ambassadors for Christ in the world. Therefore, we're to associate with, spend time with sinners, including homosexuals. And I list some scriptures there. Relationships take priority over winning a debate or an argument or lowering people to our point of view. God never called us to win an argument or debate, but to be ambassadors in our relationships and the fruit of the Spirit being evident. And I could give you a bunch of scripture, but that's not our primary focus. Expect sinners to be thinking and believing and talking and acting like sinners. Therefore, don't be shocked by sinners' point of view of human sexuality. They're responding according to their nature. Do not expect them necessarily to accept what we consider our standard or our view. Don't be surprised if they reject our reasoning. That's where they are. Please avoid the trap of putting homosexuals in a special category. They're in the same boat with gossipers, liars, traffic law violators, thieves, slanders, those who use cutting words, those who don't forgive, idolaters, etc. Don't put them in a separate boat. Parents, please listen. Encourage you to take notes with the intent to teach your children what God says about sexuality, homosexuality, marriage. You're responsible, especially dads. I would encourage you as grandparents to give good input to your children. I welcome questions of any type. Feel free. If you've got one in the middle of the sermon, raise your hand, wave it. Hopefully I'll notice you. I'm speaking primarily to professing believers, 
Therefore, my comments and applications are made to believers, not to homosexuals. I want you to keep that in mind. I'm speaking to a specific audience. And then I recognize we will be discussing a highly controversial subject. My desire is to help us to think, live, and respond biblically, Christ-like, in a broken, sinful world with love and grace. May we be known by our love and grace rather than our hard-nosed position. And I want to be mindful, or I want to be faithful to God, to Christ and the Scripture. And I believe I will be faithful, but yet I want you to study Scripture for yourself and make sure I'm on track as we interact with God's Word. As we study Scripture, I want to begin with God, Christ, and Scripture, continue with God, Christ, and Scripture, and conclude with God, Christ, and Scripture. I have no other authority. I'm an under-shepherd. I appeal only to God, Christ, and Scripture. In beginning with God, Christ, and Scripture, I will begin with creation, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I think it's foundational to everything about God, to Christ, and the balance of Scripture. I think it's foundational to what God says about human sexuality, homosexuality, and homosexual marriage. Always begin in the beginning when you're dealing with an issue like human sexuality. Because God sets his pattern there. I will teach scripture alone. I will not add or delete. Scripture is sufficient, 2 Timothy 3, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, and there could be some other passages. Conclusions and answers to questions will come from God, Christ, and the Scripture. I'll seek to be wise in responding through dependency upon the Holy Spirit. As we think about human sexuality, as we think about homosexuality, as we think about gay marriage, I want to begin with the foundation. That's Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. We must begin with God's desire, God's plan, God's purpose. If you know the genuine, many other things will fall into place. So what does the Bible say about human sexuality? homosexuality, gay marriage, along with maybe other things that could be thrown into the sexual category. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. When we get to the portion we're going to begin reading with in chapter 1 and verse 26, we will find that God has already created the animals, you know, the stars, sea creatures, birds of the air, sun, moon, and so on. We're into day six when we begin reading with Genesis 1 and verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The early part of chapter 2, he talks a little more about Adam being created and the instructions that are given to Adam. And let's pick up with chapter 2 and verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and clothed, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man." For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We could spend much time taking the text and trying to tie some things together. We won't do that this morning, but do want to see God's design in Genesis 1 and 2. Adam and Eve were created in God's image. Clearly stated, let us make man in our image. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created male, he created female. And I want you to get through your mind that God created male and female. God created sexuality. God created human sexuality. And at the end of chapter 1, he said it is very good. Human sexuality is very good. Got to think that through and process that because we hear all the negative, but God created male and female. He already said to them they're to reproduce. Reproduction is to take place. A physical reproduction. I think a spiritual reproduction. I think a relational reproduction in the sense that Adam and Eve were to teach. Involved in being created in God's image is to rule over. 
he clearly states, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. It involved a work-rest cycle. God rested on the seventh day. Adam, Eve, apparently to work six and then rest on the seventh. Being created in God's image involved communion, communion, fellowship, communication. What did God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit do in eternity past? I think enjoyed one another and had communion. Adam and Eve created in God's image. They're to have communion. They're to have fellowship. They're to interact with one another. And I might say, that seems to involve face-to-face. God, as he created Adam and Eve, designed some roles. Man is to be responsible, to be the leader, to be the teacher. Woman, to be a helper, to be a companion. Both created in God's image, one not more important than the other, both being essential. We find in this passage also that God designed marriage, and that involves male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. It involves a male and a female leaving parents. The marriage relationship taking priority over the parent-child relationship. So when I get married, Ruth and I get married, we kind of left our parents behind in some respects. Our priority became each other. Then, uniting to a wife, he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And as you study scripture, you'll find that that involves whatever it might take, a public ceremony, an unconditional commitment. Two, being glued together. And then, one flesh. The text is clearly talking about a sexual relationship between man and woman within marriage. It is good. God says the sexual relationship within marriage is good. And I emphasize that because we're told over and over again, it's bad. Ruth Ann and to me some extent, would have come to our marriage with the perspective that the sexual relationship within marriage was a necessary evil because of our background. God says what he created was very good. Now, there's a lot of distortion sexually in our world, but what God created was very good. We find that they also have total, complete openness I think there was total, complete openness mentally, emotionally, physically. There was nothing to hide. They were just open with one another. They were naked, and they were not ashamed. How often today are we ashamed of how we think, what happens in relationships? But they were naked. I don't think it's limited to physical nakedness. I think it's, they were just open, nothing covering them in any area of life. Now, with those thoughts in mind, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Marriage reflects God's image and roles within the Trinity. 
Each person of the Trinity has a different role. This is true within God's design for marriage. And Jesus confirms this in Matthew 19. Jesus is asked a question about a man divorcing his wife. And notice what he says in verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together... Let not man separate. Jesus confirming what is stated in Genesis. Listen as I read from Ephesians chapter 5. Just one verse in the context of discussing husbands and wives. Paul says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The Lord establishes his will, his desire for human sexuality. Everything else in Scripture will build upon God's design in Genesis 1 and 2 as it relates to marriage, as it relates to human sexuality. This is foundational. We don't begin discussing homosexuality or gay marriage and so on With those items, we begin with God's design. You always have to come back to God's foundation, God's designed. In setting his design, we find all sexuality which is expressed contrary to this design would then be sin. Thus, a host of sexual sins is addressed indirectly. In contrast, sex within The design of God is very good. It is within this design that there is to be satisfaction. Any seeking satisfaction sexually outside of God's design may bring temporary satisfaction, but long-term frustration and discontent. And this is why people will run from one form of sexual expression to another. They're seeking something that will last. We follow the instructions of a designer in daily life because we trust them. I don't think any of you are willing to pull up to your water hydrant and fill your gas with water because the designer of it says it needs gasoline. The designer of human sexuality says, this is my design. Man, leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, they become one flesh, and there is openness within that relationship. That's for the profit of the world in which we live. God is not out to harm us. He's not out to create problems. He's not out to cheat us. Adam and Eve thought God was cheating them, and they yielded as Satan lured them. God is out for our good, for our well-being. Now, I want you to consider the harm, the hurt, the destruction which comes from neglecting God's will, God's desire, God's design. Incest, 
sexual activity within a family. I won't ask, but I thought about asking, how many of us here have been influenced by incest in some way? And then I thought, no, I'll ask it the other way. How many of us have not been influenced in some way? It's one of those things that influence when we depart from God's will, God's design. Divorce, when divorce is present because of sexual immorality. Bitter hurt children. I don't care to begin to discuss how many people I've dealt in my years of ministry. They may be adult children now, but they're bitter and they're hurt because of what happened sexually, stepping outside of God's desire. The whole pornography industry is stepping outside of God's design. Sexual slavery, where more girls than boys are taken away from their parents, in some cases kidnapped, even in our country, and sold into slavery, where they're under control of someone who earns money from them as they perform their sexual acts for someone else. Again, stepping outside of God's design. Just substandard marriages, because stepping outside of God's design. There are all kinds of diseases that we battle with because of stepping outside of God's design for human sexuality. There's broken relationships. How many relationships are broken because of sexual sin? Then there's a dumbing down of the standard. We tend to watch what we didn't used to watch. I had a guy tell me he was an adult, a man. He said to me, uh, and I remember when I was a kid, my dad said, we don't watch that stuff in our house. He said, now I'm an adult, and my dad is watching stuff that when I was a kid living at home said we don't watch. Now he watches it. And he was referring to that which ties in sexually. We condemn down if we're not careful. Genesis 1 and 2 are foundational. Everything else builds upon it. If we do not correctly interpret Genesis 1 and 2, we miss the correct interpretation of the rest of Scripture on human sexuality. A study of human sexuality, homosexuality, gay marriage, must begin with Genesis 1 and 2. Please understand that this is God's only plan, only design, only will. There is no other. Accept it. Focus on obedience. This is God's design for human sexuality, as described in Genesis 1 and 2. I want you to think about some applications to Genesis 1 and 2. Anything beyond male, female, within the bonds of leaving, uniting one flesh, falls short of God's will, God's plan, God's standard. And please consider the following. And I recognize some of us have been through some of these things. And I'm not out to criticize. I'm not out to condemn. But I want us to understand what takes place in our world. Any thought, belief, Motive, attitude, word, 
action which falls outside of God's sexual design. That's not according to God's design or standard. Sexual relationships out of marriage, after marriage. Outside of God's design. It's not over there, but sexual relationships before marriage. I was talking to someone about two weeks ago, and they were telling me about a certain person, and they said, this guy, you know, moved in with a girlfriend. They're living together. They're going to get married, you know, a year, a year and a half from now. And I said to the guy, well, what do the parents say? You know, there was no leaving, uniting one flesh. They want the one flesh before the other. Homosexuality is another form of stepping outside of God's bounds. Sexting, is that how you say it? Sexting. Happens all the time. You read about it repeatedly if you look at the paper. Care if you're sending a word message or an image outside of God's design. Pornography, any type. Again, outside of God's design. Masturbation, seeking to satisfy yourself sexually apart from God's design. Again, outside of God's design. Prostitution, outside of God's design. Movies, TV, computer, which present anything beyond God's plan. Might be the producer, might be the viewer. Just outside of God's design. Dancing, dressing, which lures a person or others to think or act beyond God's design. They're forms of dancing. They're forms of expression. Addressing which will lure others to think incorrectly about God's design. Touching, talking to someone beyond God's design, which is sexually and sexual in thought or action. So a husband, or let me back up, not a husband or wife, a guy and a girl talking to each other that leads them to want to express themselves beyond what they should at that point in time. I think that's one reason Solomon says in the Song of Solomon, don't arouse love until the proper time. Don't mess around, if you want to use that term, before you're married, to arouse temptation that cannot be satisfied until after marriage, according to God's design. Another form is human approaching, humans approaching animals. Scripture says quite a bit about that. Choosing to think, to listen to, to view, to discuss anything that is outside of God's design, designed for sexual relationships. And I think the Christian community many times falls short of that. Christians sitting down and watching programs that portray that which is contrary to God's design probably is not good, not healthy. Music that appeals to sexual desires outside of God's design. Music has an impact on people. So someone's going to be involved incorrectly sexually, and in the background, the hymn, Amazing Grace, is playing. 
I'm willing to bet a million dollars that that's not happening. There's some type of music that will move towards further action. Music has an impact. I'm not saying what is right or wrong about music, I'm just saying music that would appeal to sexual desires. Dwelling on how terrible your mate is and how good someone else may be. That's stepping outside of God's design. Oh, my wife, my husband. But this one over here. Looks, comments, actions to anyone other than your mate, which lures desire. I try to play dumb. I really do. I said to Ruth Ann one time, I said, do you know any woman that, you know, tried to lure me in? I said, I'm dumb. You know, I try not to even pay attention to that. But, you know, a guy and a gal, you can look and respond and make certain comments that say, I'd like a little more. That's outside of God's design. Joking, talking, that makes light of God's design. All of those things are parting, going away from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Do we in the Christian community stop and think about how we're tempted concerning sexuality? Give you a couple examples. Viewing movies, TV, etc., which imply or show or discuss sexuality outside of God's design. Might be a talk show topic. Might be slight nudity. Might be hugging and kissing and so on. If you as a parent or a grandparent will watch that or even that which is implied outside of God's design and then you're going to turn around and say to your child later, stay pure until marriage, you're double talking. And your child will probably go with what they see rather than what they hear. You sit in your living room and you watch, you get on your computer and you look at that which is not according to God's design. That has an impact on you and your offspring for generations to come. Genesis 2, Genesis 1. Viewing commercials or programs which display immodesty and lure evil desire. Now stop and think about television how commercials are designed to appeal to sexuality. Not all, some. That has an impact. Dressing in a manner that may lure someone to focus on your body rather than you as a person. I've heard numerous times over the years, well, show off what you have. No. Save it for your mate within God's design. I'm talking to men and to women and to guys and to gals when I say that. I'm not talking just to gals. We dress and we say something about who we are by how we address. Men looking at women, checking them out. 
I remember this very distinctly. Don't ask me why it impacted me so much, but I was one of our local hospitals and met a guy that I've known for years. He doesn't come here to church, but he professes to be a believer. And as we were standing there talking, a gal came out of the elevator. And this is what he did. I didn't make any comment to him. Maybe I should have. But what was he doing? He was checking her out. Guys, maybe the first look isn't sin, but if you walk around the block to see again, you've fallen pretty far. <laughs> Another example, publishing romance novels which create discontent with your marriage. Husbands and fathers refusing to guide sons who struggle with pornography. I'm talking with sons who may be living at home primarily, but it wouldn't stop at that. No, a Christian father knowing his son is struggling and not doing anything about it, not trying to help him has a tremendous impact. By the way, from what I've read, those who struggle with pornography, many of them began before age 13. Not by choice, but by accident they saw something. Fathers, <clears throat> okay, fathers who fail to struggle. Another one, parents who allow children in their teens to dress immodestly, dress which will draw attention to themselves. Parents, as parents, we need to sit down with our children and instruct them and guide them as far as how to dress and what impact that might have. And I'm talking guys and gals. I'm not picking on just girls. What impact that it has. And if we don't do that, they're going to gravitate towards that which is not good. Church leaders who view pornography. It's not discussed among leaders, pastors, missionaries, elders, and deacons. I say this to clergy shame. Statistics I have read that over 50% of clergy struggle with pornography. We don't address that in the Christian community. In all my 30-plus years of pastoring, I have yet to have another pastor come up to me and say, Pastor Dan, I just wondered, what did you look at on the computer this week and what magazines did you look at? Not once. I've gone to some other pastors and I said, what have you been watching this week? What have you looked at? How are you making out? And part of the reason I did that is just, you know, conviction. That if it's a struggle among leaders, it'll be a struggle among people. And we'll talk some, Lord willing, I'm not sure if we'll get to that tonight. Yeah, we'll get to that tonight. How do you address some of that? Now, I said what I did this morning to help us see that God created human sexuality. It is good. But when you depart from Genesis 1 and 2, you run into all kinds of issues and problems. It's not new. It's been around since the beginning of time. But we need the foundation in its proper place. 
And I think any one of us, if I were to go back through some of the items that listed, we would say, oh, yeah, that, that hits me, that hits me, or this hits me. God wants his design to be held up. But as you hold it up, there's going to be struggle. How should we respond? We can't just say homosexuality. We can't just say gay marriage because there's a gamut of other things that are tied in with those. But we will seek to focus on those three, human sexuality, homosexuality, and gay marriage as we go along. Questions or comments as we close in prayer? <clears throat> those of you who gave me questions, I have already responded to them in my own preparation, and we'll get to respond to them in services as we go along. Father, we love you. We want to be faithful to you. We live in a broken, fallen world, Father, but we know that Christ came so that we can have life. And it'd be our desire, Father, as we discuss human sexuality, homosexuality, and gay marriage, to be faithful to your word, to be honest with ourselves, and to pull closer and closer to you. We want to be a people that are in the midst of struggle, that are striving to live godly. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.